I bought these hubcaps that kind of look like oh, alloys. Hi there, Jonathan Williams back again at the Bricks and Mortar podcast. We're buying, we're selling, we're renting, we're investing. If we've got something, we'll try and float your boat and light your candle. This week's show, what that's all about, is an interview with Nick Ponte. If you've been looking through Facebook or if you're on any of the Facebook regular property forums, then you probably will have seen the Facebook Live that we did. Interviews about 45, 50 minutes. What we'll end up doing, I think, is getting that interview, editing it down and then putting it onto the Facebook and we'll also get it onto the YouTube channel. We do have a YouTube channel and what I'm hoping to try and do over the next weeks and months is to ensure that any of the interviews that I do from now on in, we do a video to accompany that. It's making things a bit more difficult. It's a little bit different, but as you'll be fully aware, you've got to take risks in order to move things forward. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be a little bit different and doing things and making them slightly harder just so that that improves what I am able to deliver. I think it's a good chat. Nick Ponte, he has got quite an interesting story, had been a photographer doing the sports coverage, had been to the Olympics and to the Commie Games. But then, although that was his first love, He's always wanted to get into property. Have a listen to it. Have a watch of it. Give me some feedback and tell me what you think. So we're going to introduce Nick. I'll tell you a little about the triathlon that I did there on Sunday. We'll talk about the seminar that I'm doing with the Buy to Let people, John Mann and the Property Leverage Network meeting and then at the back end of the show, I'll tell you a bit more about the BNI training that we did this week. So we did the triathlon yesterday. I'm absolutely rooked. I tell you what, I'm pushing well, 49, 50 next birthday. And if you don't train for these events, then I tell you what, they're going to spit you out by the backside and that's what happened to me on Sunday I've been doing a bit of training I haven't been doing a lot of training but when you're going to try and knock out a 1.2 mile swim a 57 mile bike ride and then a half marathon if you ain't done the training then you're going to know about it so I DNF'd I've never ever DNF'd on a race I can remember but you know what there were various events that had happened uh, last week where uh, one of my former colleagues in fact died in a triathlon during the swim event and I just thought to myself screw the noggin here you know you've got a wife two kids you just don't want to go out there and absolutely batter yourself so I was struggling really badly on the run my knee was giving me jip and I just wasn't feeling the best and you know what first time I think in a long time I screwed the nut and I just pulled myself off the course. Having said that, it wasn't as if I'd only been out there for a couple of hours. I'd been out there for six bloody hours. <laughs> six hours. So I tell you what, I've got the badge to show it. So that was uh, Sunday um, and we got off the, the course and headed about, it was out at, um, at uh, St Andrews 
and we did have a great day it really was it was a good laugh um and enjoyed it probably would have enjoyed it more had i done the training talking of training we're going to talk at the back end of this about my bni educational slot it's all about triggers but enough of that let's get on see what we're talking about with nick ponte Hi, Jonathan Williams here at the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Uh, this is probably one of the, the first, well, it is the first one that we've done on the live Facebook, so it'll be great just to get your feedback moving forward. We've got Nick Point, Ponty here, um, and we're just going to dive in. Uh, we've got the recorder on, so if uh, you don't like our ugly mugs, then you can listen to it on the Bricks and Mortar podcast. This will be going out, I would think, probably at the end of the week, so we'll get cracking. Nick, how are you doing? Good, thank you, Jonathan. Yeah. yeah, really good. Thanks for having me. So I've done a little bit of a bio on you and photography, paparazzi <laughs> to property. Yeah. So tell me, how did you get into the paparazzi game? Well, I, I guess uh, photography is kind of my trade almost. Uh, and, and I did photography for about 11 years. Um, I worked for the, the Herald and Evening Time newspaper. Yeah. Uh, so really, um, I had a passion for photography from quite a young age, and that was from school. Yeah, just w- when I was at school, it. basically, um, I got my first camera when I was like fourteen or something. Right. Um, I used to go down to the local pitches, uh, amateur league football on a Monday night. Right. I used to take my camera. I used to love sports photography. Right. So I would take my camera down there uh, when I was a kid, take pictures of the football players. And uh, I started selling them prints. So all right, okay. Yeah, so so a bit I, of pocket money. Yeah, for you. so I would go down and, and you know some of them were quite vain. They would like to have pictures of themselves <laughs> playing football. So <laughs> I would charge my tenner for a print and made a bit of money off oh, of that. Oh, a tenner, and this was back when? Yeah, well, for me, this was probably late eighteen nineties, ninety four, ninety five. Right. So yeah, good so pin money. Yeah, so I used to do that. Uh, loved photography. Uh, so after I finished school, uh, actually, uh, I did a couple of years just travelling, just kind of bummed about, if you like, did yeah. some uh, ski seasons in France, okay, uh, right. did a bit of travelling abroad and stuff, and then when I, I came back after that travelling, uh, I did uh, college in Glasgow, uh, did a course in did photography. You HND? Yeah, HND okay. sort of type thing. Right. Didn't last very long, uh, sort of just really wanted to get really stuck in it, uh, get out into uh-huh. a job and that. So, yeah. phoned up all the uh, newspapers down here in Glasgow. Uh, I was originally from Inverness, so I sort of moved down into the big city. Right. Uh, phoned up all the papers, just wanted to come in and learn, just work experience, uh-huh. um, evening times. Um, and they were okay with that? They picture were... editor said, yeah, come in, sure. Um, went in for a couple of days, work experience, shadowed some of their photographers. Uh-huh. So that was quite a buzz, it was quite an exciting kind of job. Uh, There's and... nothing as good as getting that press pass. Yeah, it's yeah, always yeah, access all uh, areas. Yeah, well, you know, I had, to be honest, Jonathan, I had a really good, I had a great job, you know. It's like, I just love my job. Uh, so I worked in newspapers there. Uh, when I went in to do the, the work experience, just at that time, uh, one of the photographers uh, literally was just leaving, uh, you know, handed in his notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a vacancy came up. I'd only been at college for eight months. Uh, right. But the, the picture editor uh, at the time sort of really got on well with him. Uh-huh. He says, look, you know, we've got, we've got a, a, a place available. Sorry about that. No, no problem. Uh, we've got a, 
um, a position available here. Right, okay. Um, you know, we would like to try and sort of create a job for you. You uh -huh. know, it won't be like a, a full-time uh, uh, salary sort of thing. Right. It won't be like a trainee. Okay. Apprenticeship style yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. So they, they created that for me. And then I started off my career in newspapers and newspaper photography. Wow. Um, and I see from your biopic that you were certainly... Did you win a lot of awards? There was, yeah, there was something so, that I saw in the Evening Times that you were so I had shortlisted. A, I had a really good, um, a really good sort of stint in newspapers, and uh, you know, it, it was that time where um, they would send you to, you know, they would send you abroad on different assignments. Right. Okay. Uh, and also, I had a real passion for sports photography I as well. That, so yeah. uh, I was at uh, the London Olympics. Uh huh. Uh, covering that, uh, did the Commonwealth Games. Okay. So, like you said, just get the press pass, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. access all areas. Uh -huh. So it was really exciting. Um, so it, it got to the point for me where uh, I, I really did enjoy it, but it got to the point where I just couldn't really see myself like going anywhere in that. You know, so I, what, I mean, I guess there's no picture ed is there a picture editor would you go that but then so, you can so, yeah. get hands off you're off so the tools basically then. you're off the tools it's an office job you're stuck you in front of a computer screen the whole point of you wanted yeah. to do it was to get away from the office I you guess. know and, and also the thing was is newspapers uh, were kind of rapidly kind of going downhill yeah you know yeah. losing circulation almost losing their staff yeah so you know there was cost cuts you yeah. know working for a big organisation there was all this kind of there was all the politics involved yeah, and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. So it got to the point where um, in 2015 I was like, you know, I've had a good stint at this. Mm. I've been here 10, 11 years. I've managed to see a bit of the world, um, you know, managed to, to really enjoy it, enjoy my time. So you parked the, the, the photography. So what was the entry drug into property? So yeah, so, so that was my photography. But like basically during the time that I was working for newspapers, yeah. I was always kind of investing in property. Okay. Sort of part-time on the side. Right. But just to kind of reel right back, shall I just sort of start off the yeah. property journey? Yeah, yeah, do that. So so basically, I, I guess it all started for me when I was about 19. Uh, my grand died, left me some money. Um, she left me £5,000. Okay. So I had this five grand at 19. You know, if it hadn't been for my mum, sort of pulling me aside, that's a bit dangerous. A dangerous <laughs> so, cocktail. So my mum was <coughs> quite smart. She pulled me aside. She said, "Look, you should take this five thousand pounds by buy a flat, uh -huh. basically." So, so timeline here is. <coughs> so this was nineteen. So this was like what would that be? Uh, this was ninety nine. Right. Okay. So ninety nine. Well before pre crash. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Two thousand. So she says, right, okay, like, we should buy a wee flat. I later realised she was just dying to get rid of me out of the house, you know. <laughs> but, uh, so, so I'm from Inverness originally. Right. So, so we bought a, um, <clears throat> a two-bedroom flat in the, the town centre of Inverness for 40000 Right. Uh, so put that £5,000 as a deposit. Uh -huh. I didn't actually live in the place, to be honest with you. Um, right. Right at that point, I kind of got the travel bug uh -huh. and uh, went and took off. So from, did you rent it out? Yeah, right. So so rented it out <clears throat> straight away. Very uh, easy to do that. Yeah, well, it, it was a good area, a good location, uh -huh. city centre of Inverness. You know, there was good demand. My mum and dad had a couple of properties already, right, in Inverness. So, so they're showing you the ropes. So a yeah, bit. I mean, basically, it was kind of like you know 
kind of brought up in that whole thing where they actually had a couple of HMOs. This was before all like, oh, right. the before they called them before the HMOs. Them, yeah, before yeah. you know the bed sets basically. So <laughs> they would take a house. They had two, yeah they, two houses in Inverness uh, that they split up into six rooms. Yeah, and uh, yeah it was like fifty quid a week or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, so they'd already had that experience. So I guess that's why my mum says, look, you know, this would be a good investment for you yeah, with yeah. your money. Yeah. Rather than pissing up against the wall, basically. <laughs> I didn't she like w- to use that phrase. Which you would do at yeah, yeah, 19. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? So, so that was you know, the best investment I've ever made um, because uh, four, was it four or five years later, uh, is that property that was worth 40, bought for 40 grand, uh, I sold that for 105. Because Inverness yeah. is now the place, I mean, it's really. Yeah, it was just kind of right. Even still now, it's, it's a buzzing place to, to be. Well, they got the kind of status of you know the, the kind of you know the, the city status, yeah. the capital, the Highlands, and all yeah. the rest of it. There's been quite a lot of investment there. Yeah, what investment? University, etc. Uh, University of the Highlands. My kind of life's moved away from Inverness now, so I've got still got ties there, sure. but like you know, I don't. So it's worth 120. So what do you do? Do you, do you sell that? Uh, so so 105. It was 105. So I sold that uh, 2005. I think I sold that. Um, so I had this big kind of you know lump of cash, uh-huh. you know, and it was still only what was I then probably twenty four or something like that. Okay, right. But twenty four. So I was I was now in Glasgow, um, you know, working for the paper. Yeah. Uh, so I took that cash, and uh, I bought a couple of properties by to lets down in Glasgow. Right. Okay. Uh, so and can, leverage then got yeah, the mortgage. Got the mortgage and all that. Twenty five percent. Uh, so I had three properties in total, uh, but I was I was still a bit kind of you know I didn't I didn't have a clue really of what I was doing managing them yourself yeah I was yeah. managing them myself basically just on, on the back of advice from my mum and she was sorting me out the tenancy agreements okay. and all yeah, the rest yeah. of it and I, I was just kind of yeah loosely kind of managed and not really keeping a good eye on them uh-huh. uh, but you know you know I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket even at that age you know the people were telling me like. I think it was my broker really my mortgage broker was like oh no you don't want to you know put all your money into property diversify it'd be just go and put yeah. some into you know stocks and share advisors and uh-huh. savings accounts and all the rest of it so yeah. did a bit of that but uh, you know really looking back on that it's quite kind of frustrating because I think if I had the right sort of team around me or the right people at that time if I had sort of the right person advising me then I probably could have really scaled up you know, with that, even just with 70, 80 grand yeah. in my pocket. But then the shit was going to hit the fan. Well, so had yeah. you done that, you might have potentially lost everything. So I would either be a millionaire or be completely bust, wouldn't I? You would have been you know missing I mean? that thing up yeah, against the you know, wall. Because like, at that point, one of the properties I bought was in a new build development in Glasgow, oh, nice. so right, 2007 okay. or something like that. Okay. And you were seeing guys coming in, investors, and they were coming in, you know, with no money and just getting twenty properties. Yeah, yeah. You know, off plan. Off plan. What can go wrong? Yeah. So this was like, you know, I'll not name names, builders and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. But there was a lot of shenanigans going on. Yeah, yeah. As you know. Uh-huh. So I guess, like you said, it was probably good in a sense that I didn't kind of leverage that sort of pot of cash too much, uh-huh. and only had the sort of two, three properties because that way I wasn't completely exposed when. Like you say, the ship hit the fan. Yeah, in two thousand. Because you would have guess ridden the wave of the property market up until two thousand and seven when it went pop. 
So to some extent, you would have been protected as you moved forward. Yeah. It's a bit like my story where um, I've got half a dozen properties and, and I certainly stopped, mainly because I ran out of money, stopped investing mm-hmm. in property just before the crash. And, you know, so thankful that I did. I only got my, my fingers burnt on one of the properties, which we bought sort of 2006. Yeah. And, and, and everybody at that stage yeah. paid too much for it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so your parents were an enormous help. Um, yeah. And I guess to a certain extent, are they as much of a help now or are there other people that are helping you? So um, I guess now, I mean, I think I've always had a bit of passion from property right back from when, like, obviously with my parents and that. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the first things that, that, that my dad did was convert an old uh, farmstead into a bar, okay. restaurant, a country sort of pubs oh, wow. type okay. thing. Right. And he pretty much did that himself, um, you know, with, with the help of another couple of guys. Uh-huh. But... You know, from the age of five, I was in there, you know, helping out mix the cement mixer and all the rest of it, and right. kind of like helping out on site. So your your parents are obviously very driven, and is that where you get your drive? Yeah, I, I think it is, you know. I think really, like, I really kind of like uh, admire, like, what my mum and dad did. Um, basically, you know, they're the kind of like rags to riches story, you know. Okay. Like, they started with yeah. nothing. Yeah. You know, I can't really kind of come in here and say... I grew up in a council estate then, I had quite a privileged upbringing, yeah. not, you know, not amazingly, but uh-huh. my parents were comfortable and we, we had a good life, but they basically start with nothing, yes. so I think looking at that gives me a sort of drive and determination to try and sort of build it on that. It certainly sounds as if they've never blessed, rested in their laurels and what they've done is they've instilled in you yeah. that work ethic, which is absolutely vital, yeah. that I've got two kids that that's something that we are trying to instill in them. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it doesn't matter where you've come from. Um, it's, it's what you do with your life. And if you can instill in them a, a positive work ethic, then, you know, they, they should fly. Yeah. They should fly. Yeah, totally. um, so we've hit the crash. Yep. Did you get your fingers burnt? What, what, uh, you you rode that storm. So I, had, I had a bit of... I bought one in Partick around about 2005, and that kind of shot up in value quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I had one in uh, City Centre, which was came up in value too. So, uh, luckily, uh, I'm just trying to remember the whole timeline now, but I'd sold the one in Partick. I remember selling the one in Partick just, I think it was like, I was I was on holiday at the time when the sale went through. It was just, it was like the kind of, 2008, I think the crash happened, wasn't it? Like properly, yeah, like when yeah. all the banks collapsed yeah, and all September. the rest of it. September 2008. Yeah. In August, I sold. So I had I had <laughs> top of the market. three flats, and uh, I sold one. The one in part I sold yeah. in August. Oh my god! I right. so and I, I made I made quite a decent bit of cash out of that as well. So I had about thirty k out of that. Uh huh. <laughs> looking yeah. back on that now, it couldn't oh, have been wow. a better. At the timing just couldn't be better, but I was still the precipice of the abyss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but on the flip side of that, I bought one in uh, one of the new build developments in Finiston. Oh, right, okay. And uh, I bought that in like two thousand seven, so just the, the year before. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, it was kind of. So when when did you jack in the photography? All right. So photography, literally, I was working for the newspaper right up till two thousand fifteen. So this was um, your property side of things. Was a, a side hustle on the side, almost. on okay. the side, yeah, just small. And did you one. have? What did you try and do? Because certainly, my philosophy was very much buy and hold. Because 
my view is very much what I've decided to do with the portfolio is use it as the pension. Yeah. But there's various other things that you can do. Did you decide to go down a particular track of, of flipping or holding? Exactly. Yeah. So so after the crash and all that, I guess kind of people going back to that that new build development one. Yeah. Basically, I bought that for 150, and then just overnight, they were then selling the next month for like you know like 100. You know, so fifty grand straight wiped straight off. So that gave me a bit of fright, as you can imagine. Uh, yeah, yeah. So after that, I think a lot of people just kind of lay low for a while, uh-huh. don't they? Yeah, yeah. You know, people just kind of. Well, it was low. difficult to get funding. Yeah. Funding was the problem yeah, because exactly. suddenly uh, the, the, there was huge changes in the mortgage market, um, and nobody had any cash to spend, and so therefore the whole market just yeah. went went silent. Almost. Exactly. So I sat out from two thousand eight to two thousand ten, and then. Obviously, Facebook came about, and you know these things. These groups started popping up. Yeah, you know, and I, I kind of this one took took my eye in 2010, I think it was. You know, and I started following this group on Facebook, and these people were talking about, you know, bu- uh, buying below market value, yeah, yeah. repossessions. Okay. So who was who was that? Which group was that? Uh, below, I think it was called the Below Market Value oh, group. Right. I think that's still on. The which road. was like one of the originals, I think, and yeah. then all the other ones popped up, but. Yeah. Uh, so below market value uh, so started again just, I was like right okay started browsing on right move again because mm-hmm. I hadn't really been bothering and I noticed that there was all these kind of bank repossessions you know okay. in sort of 2010 yeah. um, so so all these repossessions it was funny because you could always tell by the photographs the ones that had been you know the repossessions because well they were either totally knackered <laughs> or else they had there was uh, no picture there was no picture no internals else. anyway yeah they had uh, this tape it was like kind of it's like kind of do not touch or tape over the boiler or something yeah like that. over the hob and the boiler yeah, and yeah. The, the toilet and all that uh-huh, do you know what I mean uh-huh. so they you, might as well just have stuck in the banner <laughs> ad repo yeah sell exactly and, and the, 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 the surveyors the valuers were really really down valuing them yeah, yeah. and I don't know whether it was the tactic just to get shot of them uh-huh. or what but a lot of these new build ones were starting to get repossessed as well. Okay. And that kind of caught my eye and I thought, right, okay, this could be something here to kind of have a look at. So you then got back in the game when, sort of 2010, 2010 2011. 2010. And at that stage, what kind of portfolio did you have? So again, I just had two, I just had two flats because right. I'd sold that one in Partick. Okay. And I'd kept the two. Right. So I wasn't, I wasn't like exposed, but I had a bit of, I had a bit of cash. Yes. Which, which back then, yeah. if you had cash, cash was king. Yeah. Because if you had your 25% deposit, then you know the banks were just, they were still prepared to lend, but it was just yeah. the fact that nobody had any money because a lot of people had done what they tell you to do is that buy them as cheap as chips, wait a year or two, remortgage, take the capital out, remortgage, table the capital. And that's okay in a rising market, yeah. but as soon as the thing went pop, they suddenly people are thinking, well, hold on here, I can't, I can't get the thing rented, and the interest rates are going through the roof, mm-hmm. and then they're losing those properties. So bizarre that they probably bought it as a repo, yeah. and then it went back out the door as a repo as they couldn't afford it. Okay, um, so you're twenty, and and did you fill your boots? I mean, how how deep did you go with regards to no? I mean, up these I mean, I didn't, I didn't go out, and you know, I have a limited amount of cash, right, so obviously okay. I went out and. Uh, my mum at the time as well, she was quite interested again. Okay. So I had benefit of, you know, like she was wanting to invest as well. Right. So right. between my cash and, and hers, uh, we, we went out and, and we'd sort of started buying 
not like like loads or anything like that. We've mm-hmm. got uh, we've got eight properties from over two thousand ten to two thousand fifteen. We bought up eight sort of they're all repossessions. Okay, pretty much. Uh, so so I own four of them and she owns four. And you've decided to hold those then, or are you doing a bit of sort of flipping on the? So so yeah. So basically, what we do is like there was one there, for example, bought for sixty five. This was back in two thousand ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, bought for sixty five. We only needed five thousand spent on it, and then it revalued uh, after six months. We got the, the, the revaluation mm-hmm. remortgage. And, and that came in at 90, you know, wow. so you're getting cash, you know, you're getting your initial investment, mm-hmm. you know, back out. Yeah. So in effect, you're going to get a, a, a property for nothing. And when you were buying these properties, the, the repossession properties, yeah. did you know that you were getting them at a steal? Yeah, well, the thing was, there, there was comparables, uh, but the comparables were, uh, what, what would happen with the repossessions? They seem to be really undervalued compared to what the other flats were going for through like private sales mm-hmm. so whether it was they just wanted shot of them yeah. as quickly as possible I think it's changed slightly now yeah but there certainly seems to be more interest in the repos and sometimes yeah. you actually don't get a chance to buy the repo before it even goes on to to auction um because just as you've noticed that Facebook has started this below value uh, site. Mm. There's a proliferation of these sites now. I mean, there's yeah. groups here, there and everywhere. If, if you put in property group into Facebook, mm. then you get, you know, there's half a dozen, a dozen of these groups. So the market there has now become, you know, there's, there's a, a big market. There's a lot of people playing. Yeah. And I just think that, there's not as many properties that are coming onto the market and therefore to try and find the deals mm-hmm. is becoming more and more difficult. It really is. And I've noticed that even, I mean, you know, always kind of like look back and it's never good looking back because you always sort of, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you always think, oh, what if I'd done, yeah. you know, really gone like full pelt at this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I could have been, I could have had, instead of just having eight properties. You see, when like, you look back <laughs> in life, you always look at the positives of what exactly. could have been. You never look at the negatives and I, I guess you never made that decision at the time because you were probably more concerned about the negatives. Uh, rather exactly. than the, the positive. So, so, so I think what you're yeah. talking about with the, the market conditions at the moment, you know, things have really, you know, everybody's confidence is now back in the market. Because, yeah. yeah. you know, you've got all these, you know, press headlines saying, you know, prices are on the rise, etc. And et money's never been as cheap. Exactly. Interest rates at all-time low, yeah. you know. So cash flow is looking brilliant on paper. Uh-huh. You know, when you look at the kind of ROI, you know your return and what you're actually investing. Yes, it's great. You know, so everyone's back in, which is fine because, like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that's the way it happens. You know, but uh, I think there's still good opportunities. Uh-huh. There are opportunities there. It's it's how you source them. Yeah. I mean, how do you go about sourcing them without obviously telling everybody and, and allowing everybody to peek behind the curtains yeah. and, and show you how you do it. I mean, you must have I, I don't mind. I mean, I'd be totally upfront. You know, I don't think, I used to think there was this kind of holy grail to sourcing properties and that, you know, right. and there was these people who like would go out, you know, these sourcers, you know, <laughs> and they'd bring you these magical deals, you know, <laughs> nobody else that nobody find. else could get, yeah, yeah. you know, and the, and the agents as well, you know, like there's all this talk about, you know, 
get in with your oh you're a state agents yeah. you know, take them crispy cream donuts you know uh-huh. and they'll come to you with the deals yes. you know they'll have the special under the counter deals aye exactly <laughs> I just I just don't find that and like okay I'm not like you know I'm not buying like you know hundreds of properties but uh-huh. what I did try was I tried to build up um, relationships with agents by buying property and then putting it back through them yes okay so yeah. like one of the big one of the big estate agencies that's uh, that, that dealt with a lot of the repossessions originally mm-hmm. through the, the asset management companies and that and they, yep. they got a lot of stock through the banks etc yep. so I thought well these guys seem to be the ones that are putting up all these repos so okay. I'll try, you know, I'll try and get in yep. you know, in with them uh-huh. see if I can get them before they go to the, the market and stuff yes. Yes. so I bought one uh, one property to flip and I thought right okay well I'll put this back through them you know as a as Thank a, you. As a, yeah, yeah. Sort of, you know, that way I can get to know the staff mm. better, etc. Uh-huh. Well, you then got an excuse to phone up, yeah. and then yeah, you're exactly. able to create a rapport, and then from the rapport, you're able to mm. try and build some sort of relationship. Yeah. Because once you've got a relationship, then you're halfway there yeah. almost. Yeah. So I did that, and you know, nothing came of it. Basically, you know, like I built that relationship, and I had a good, uh-huh. you know, I was on good terms with the girls in the office and all that. But at the end of the day, they've got to do their job. They can't really be doing any kind of under the table, no. kind of backhand or stuff. It's you not know. the 1980s. Yeah, and and I just think you know, I don't know. There's a lot of chat about this, and I don't really know if it really happens that much. Um, you know, by all means, you've got to build up good relationships with people and that, but uh-huh. they must get loads of people coming into their office on a week-by-week basis. You know, Billy Big Time, you know, uh-huh. I've got cash, you know, can complete within two weeks. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, they must just get it all the time, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of yeah. shit out there as well. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm glad that wasn't just me that my phone went. We're <laughs> <laughs> still on. Yeah, we're still on. Um, yeah, they must see that all the time. Absolutely. Well, you know, well Craig McCall tells that story that we interviewed yeah. him in the, the last one, where he said that he used to go in with you know Billy Big Bucks, and and he then ended up working at the estate agents right. and people used to come in doing what he did yeah. and he said the reaction <laughs> of the girls was just well he's not getting anything yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it doesn't matter he's, it was almost like he was on a blacklist oh here comes exactly. Joe Bloggs so I think basically you're talking about you know what's the key to finding the deals and the success I think it's literally just like hours I spent hours trolling through Rightmove right, right. Every night, you know, right move, GSPC was another wee website that used property uh, with potential or something like that. And basically, what it does is it basically trolls through right move, picks out oh, key right. yeah, property with potential, I think it is. Right. And uh, it's a website set up, and it's they've all they've obviously got a, like an algorithm where yep. they troll through Zoopla listings, uh-huh. and they'll pick out keywords like. Like upgrading needs upgrading, modernising. Oh, right. Okay. And it picks out those properties that have those kind of keywords right. listed in them, and it basically puts them all into that one site. Okay. So it's quite handy. So wow. so things like that potential, you know, gives you potential kind of uh, refurbs and stuff. And so that so that's in front of the screen doing your um, your, your grunt work there. 
What about leafleting? Have you tried that? Or I've not done any of that, to be no. honest with you. Um, I've heard with leafleting, and this is just through speaking to other people, mm. that that you need to be really consistent with it. Absolutely. So a lot of people just will go and get, I don't know, 5,000 mm. or whatever it is, leaflets dropped, and then nothing will come in, and they'll just give up. Yeah. But I think with the leafleting side of things is that, uh, you know yourself, um, that the amount of leaflets that come through your door unless you've actually got a necessity for it at that time, yeah. then it's just going to get turned. So what you've got to do is be consistent. And yeah. you've probably got to be consistent over a six-month period so that if at that point during that six-month period the person that looks at your leaflet is actually requiring that service, mm -hmm. then you might get a call. And that's just you might get a call. So it seems to me that you've got to do a hell of a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and I don't quite know about the expense of doing that, um, but it's a, it's a tough gig. And I, I think property sourcing is a tough gig, because ultimately, yeah. I think now the space is so busy that you know everybody knows what they should be doing, mm -hmm. and it's only those that are prepared to do the hard yards that are going to be successful. And, and I think the, like the, the, the sort of established people that are doing it, like some of the kind of agencies you know guys that trade on right moving and all this yeah. as well you know like you know they're putting huge amounts into google adverb uh, google ads you mm -hmm. know like um you know uh, facebook campaigns and all the rest of it yeah. Yeah. so so they're putting quite a lot a lot of big bucks in getting, uh -huh. getting the leads basically yeah. yeah you know it's not something that I, I really you know this company i've set up a company basically uh to offer uh like complete solution to investors. Okay. So we'll source, the, pro that. We'll source the property. Right. So it's Arc Property. Okay. Uh, so I've just set this up, and the idea is that we offer the complete solution to investors who uh, are either new to property investing, yep. or people who have got portfolios already. They want to increase their property portfolio, but don't necessarily have the time okay. to go out and do all the running about. Yep. Uh, so so we'll basically go out and when I say we it's me at the moment mm -hmm. but we sounds more professional doesn't <laughs> it so, uh, so so I'll go out basically uh, we'll f identify good opportunities so properties that have got potential for capital growth yeah. in decent areas yeah. but are not in the kind of like areas like you know West End you know prime West End mm -hmm. where it's like ridiculous and you're not going to get the yields no so like so almost on the peripheries the peripheries of yeah. these areas you know like at the moment you know like I bought a couple of flats in uh, like Bridgeton you know yeah there's talk Bridgeton as being the next Deniston so so Bridgeton's got some cracking cracking buys you know so you're looking at uh, you know flats around about 50 60,000 mark yeah you know and you can still get the rental of uh -huh. about 500 to so 550 okay. so it's a good yield good yields yeah. good returns areas you know they've really cleaned up that area uh -huh. especially around the whole commonwealth games and all yeah, the rest yeah, of it yeah, you know yeah. there's been quite a bit of investment uh -huh. and you know now the market is kind of booming and on the up you know i would like to think that the properties that i'm putting to people that are that would be good investments mm -hmm. are going to be areas where they can gain over the long term as well okay so you've got a double play there insofar as you've got the yield option yeah and then you've got the capital gain yeah exactly which is, that's the holy grail yeah of the property investor isn't it exactly you're not going to get the, the capital gains of like so you know like Heinland or downhill or something no. like that you know but you you will hopefully do do well over time yeah yeah i just i just see at the moment i just see it 
too many people getting carried away with all these kind of get rich quick strategies you know mm-hmm. they kind of like service accommodation which I do myself don't know if you want to talk about that as well we can touch on that we can touch on that yeah, right. to me as a mortgage broker and solicitor it fills me with dread when people talk about serviced accommodation and the funding angle because ultimately there is only maybe two lenders out there who have yeah. taken their head out the sand and are understanding what serviced accommodation is all about because ultimately if you've got a standard buy to let property mm-hmm. you should not be doing serviced accommodation because you will not have a shortage of tenancy and technically speaking and we're talking technicalities here because how the lender is going to find out but technically they could run a coach and horses through that and they could potentially then say well listen you are now in contravention of your terms and conditions and we are able to then start repossession proceedings now they're not going to do that because all they're worried about is is the monthly Um, mortgage getting paid and is how they're going to find out so they've sort of and I think they know that and there's no way that you're telling me that the banks and business guys don't know that there's this thing about serviced accommodation I think it will come to a head when the councils decide to say to individual proprietors hold on here the neighbours have complained Mm. You, you can't use that as serviced accommodation because you need planning permission because it's a commercial operation and the council say we ain't giving you yeah. permission for that and I think that's likely to happen m- more quickly in Edinburgh mm. where from my understanding serviced accommodation the whole market at one and two bedrooms is just dominated by people wanting to buy them mm. and flip them out as serviced accommodation yeah, I mean, it's like, it's such a kind of hot topic oh, at the moment. huge. You know, and obviously with the whole kind of uh, tax changes around the buy-to-let and all that, people are looking at other, mm. other ways of doing things. Yeah. So you've got, like, existing landlords are sort of getting approached by companies, managing companies, management companies, and that saying, you know, we can get you better, we can get you better return, you know, you don't need to deal with all these tax issues now. And is this on the basis that what they're saying is that ultimately that's not Schedule A income and we are treating it more on a commercial footing and so therefore yeah. we can use the tax breaks that you were previously going to. Yeah, I, mean, exactly. I can but understand that, but listen, once HMRC get wind yeah. of that, then they're just going to say, oh, hold on here, we're not, you're not going to be able to do that. So it's all short-termism. It's, it's very short-term. That's the sort of philosophy behind me setting up this kind of this kind of company to, to source basically vanilla buy to lets sort of high yielding yeah. good return on your investments over long term you know it's because like I'm kind of shying away from that I've tried all these strategies you know uh-huh. like kind of they don't really work for me you know so yeah. I just want to kind of do this for the long term now I'm a big believer in a book called The One Thing and The One Thing is very much espousing that you have to identify what your one thing is and Mm. concentrate on that because I think that there's so many shiny objects in the buy-to-let world that you can do a flip, you can do service, Mm. you can do Mm. standard buy-to-let you can do property investment holiday cottages etc I think that if if you try and do all of them then you're not going to be a a success in doing all of them, yes you've got to have diversity but I think from uh, what you do with property I'm a big believer in just going and 
becoming a master mm -hmm. in one particular aspect so that you know above anybody else about serviced accommodation, about holiday rentals, about standard buy to let. Um, certainly that's my take on that and it'd be interesting just to see um, I mean, you've got some serviced accommodation. I do, the yeah. The, the ones that some of the ones that I own, though, so I'm in complete control of them, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so you know, they work very well. Uh -huh. You know, they they do well. There's a demand for Huge them. Huge income generator. I mean, I've got pals who've got stuff out in Carluke. Yeah. Now, buying something in Carluke, you're thinking, Christ, I'm not going to be able to rent that, let alone do anything mm. else with it. And then suddenly, serviced accommodation comes along, and they're getting companies who mm. have got teams of people that would they would rather stay in a property rather than in a hotel. And he's making mm -hmm. you know money hand over fist uh, because of the serviced accommodation. So mm -hmm. I think it, it's an interesting, it's a it, it's a huge hot topic, and one I think that is not going to go away. And that's why I think that the lenders have got to take their head out of the sand mm. um, and start thinking about how they're going to deal with it. I, I kind of had kind of big big visions, you know, of like you know having all these properties, you know, you know, serviced accommodation. I think a year ago, mm. and uh, the the way I was going to do that was uh, sort of renting uh, rent to rent. Okay. So rather yeah. than buying them, I would rent them off a landlord and guarantee them, you know, the the, the rent basically. Yeah, so yeah. I'd give you seven hundred and fifty mm. pounds a month guaranteed rent. You know, my company will, uh, you know, basically renting this back out on airbnbbooking.com mm -hmm. uh, and the, the one flat that I kind of started with uh, basically the neighbours didn't like it well that's uh -huh. that, that's the you thing know. that you can't you don't know and as soon as the neighbours start yeah. um, finding out about that then the, the next phone call if you can't placate them the next phone calls to the council yeah. and that, went, that went all the way right to the top and oh, wow. it got to the point where you know the landlord's Rightly so, kind of panicked, right? And he's like, "I want my property back." Uh -huh. I don't blame him, yeah, yeah, because you know he's getting calls from the council. Well, I'll tell you a story um, about Airbnb, and I put a blog on it this week. You probably mm. read it, mm. where again one of my pals um, was renting a property out in the south side. What happened was that the neighbours phoned him up and said, "Listen." There seems to be a lot of people coming and going from your flat. Yeah. And the and the, the my pal said, oh, let's find the students, you know, the, your parties and what have you. And so didn't think anything more of it. And then the neighbour again phoned up and said, Listen, you're gonna to have to do something because it's just it's not right. So the something must have piqued his interest mm. and he went on to Airbnb and put in the address and lo and behold, his tenant was subletting the property on Airbnb, £24 a night. Right. Um, and the, 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 clearly had been doing it for a long time because there are 24 reviews. Right. <laughs> and, and the tenant was replying to the reviews and they were like, you doing it as a cottage industry? And I thought, you know, hat off to the tenant yeah. to make a few probably, bob. Probably doing all right. um, yeah. And I, I, put in the, I put in the blog, I said, well, what would you do? In that situation, if that was your property and you were renting it yeah. to a tenant and you, you knew that they were doing that... You'd book, book, a, night, book a night stay. Well, that's what <laughs> I said. That's what I said. And I think just purely for 
their reaction would just yeah. be magnificent. Video on Facebook. Oh, it would just be brilliant. <laughs> and then you'd serve them with the papers the next day. Yeah. And get them to sling the terms. But um, yeah, so I had it written in the terms of the, the lease, obviously, that I was allowed to sublet this property. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it was all done complete transparency. Uh-huh. The landlord was okay with it. But yeah. then, you know, the minute you've got an issue like that, it's kind of, it's no point in doing it. No. Because you're literally just pissing everybody off uh-huh. and it's just going to end up causing you a real headache. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you got your art property. Art property is set really, really Art um, property set up. I'm really, really excited about that. So it's, if you like, we're almost going to try and uh, make it kind of bespoke sort of package, you know, okay. so we're not looking for volume. No. We're not going out into the lettings market and just taking on as much stock as we can get. Mm. We want to work and build up relationships with individual investors. Okay. And really target really good potential uh, investment properties for them. Right. Like I said, to provide that cash flow, you know, good return investment and long-term growth as well. Brilliant. And so that's art property. And then are you doing the lettings as well? Or is yeah, that well, part that's of basically well? that, that's the part of the whole package. So we'll, okay. we'll go out and source the property. I've got a team, I do uh, refurb, uh, refurb flips as well. Mm-hmm. So over the last few years, I've got a really good team of tradesmen, like really reliable. Yeah. And I think that's worth its weight in gold. Absolutely. In this sort of current market as well. Yeah. Uh, very difficult to get hold of the good tradesmen again, because they're all so busy. So, you know, basically we'll offer the, the, the refurbishment as well. So like I can project manage that mm-hmm. with my team. So, and then after that, we'll fully manage the property as well. Okay. I had to go down the letting agents route to get all the, um, certified because obviously in January well you've now got to do your badges yeah. you've got to do the exams exactly. etc so, so you've so, done all of those so, so I've, I've booked on the courses uh-huh. so basically I wanted to just have it all under the one body uh-huh. to, to basically provide the complete solution because my thinking is you get all these deal, deal sources out there mm-hmm. and a lot of them are coming out they've never invested in property before Yeah, you're getting these deals deals emailed to you uh-huh. you know below market value or the rest of it yeah. but really when you sort of dive into it a lot, of, a lot of them are just rubbish you uh-huh. know and what they'll do is there's a lot of people that just don't know this you know they won't do enough they due diligence, diligence they'll themselves. just take it yep. for granted that it's a good deal uh-huh. go and buy and then they're left with this stink of a property mm-hmm down in like, I don't know, deepest, darkest airship or something like that, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Which takes an hour and a half to uh, get to, they can't find the bloody place. And then, you know, nothing wrong with airship, there's some good bits of airship as well, because I know that we've got some people that I'm friends with down there that do very well at property. Right. But there are some places that are just never going to make sense, yeah. you know, as an investment. Uh-huh. Then they're stuck with this property, they have to get really shit tenants in, yeah. you know, that'll not look after the place, uh-huh. and they're kind of left to get, they're just what left. So yeah. I, I don't want to leave people just. I want to provide the full, the full package, yes. almost hands free. But I'm quite willing to work with people as well that want to learn as they go along. So, yeah, you know. Yeah. So let's talk. You mentioned there about the tradesmen, and I completely agree with you that you've got to have a team of of people who you can assist with. So let's talk power team then. Yeah. Um, and how important do you feel that power team is? Not just the trades, but, you know, the various other professionals that you need along the way. Yeah, totally critical because, you know, you need people to, first of all, just answer your phone calls. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the main thing, you know, uh-huh. communication. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, whether it be my solicitor's brilliant, you know, like I can see something if it's like an auction property or something, I'll literally just phone up, you know, and uh, she'll get back to me. If she can't get back to me, you know, if she's not there straight away to answer my mm. call, she'll get back to me within yeah. that day. You know, I can send her stuff to her quick look over the title, etc. So yeah. that, that's, that's really uh, important. Uh, mortgage broker as well, you know, like it's important that you've got, you know, somebody working for you that's not just got their interests. Yeah, yeah. You know, so... I think what you've got to do is to create that proper team and a team that you trust you have to devote some time to creating that rapport, to yeah. create that relationship. Yeah, it doesn't come instantly. No. For sure. No. You know, because, like, obviously, you know, my solicitor, somebody, if I refer a client to them, you know, who's never bought, you know, through them, you know, in the past, uh-huh. I'm not going to be, like, straight away going to deal with loads of calls from them and all that and yeah. give them free advice and all that. But uh-huh. because I've, I've been dealing with this one solicitor for so long now... Yes. You know, she's now, if, I, if I've got a, a question or query, she's like, well, there's Nick, you know, he's uh-huh. active, you know. It's and, and to say anything, some solicitors get a bad rap in that they, as soon as they, they pick up the phone, you think the clock's ticking, the fee clock's ticking. Yeah, but yeah. once you've got a relationship exactly. with them, it's just far from that. And certainly from my point of view, yeah. when I was doing the legals back in the day, um, there was nothing better than speaking to an investor and, and talking property yeah. because that's the thing that we've got in common mm. and that's what we enjoy talking about mm-hmm. so you know that is a myth that the clock is, is ticking as long as you've got that relationship mm. um, then you know you'll get lots of good quality in essence free advice yeah. and when you're managing obviously the, the refurbs and that uh, you know it's important you want to get in and out quick you know that's yeah. you know, time scale is critical isn't Absolutely. it you know? so you've got to rely you know you've got to have your plan you know, you're going to have your, your the guys ripping it out, then you're going to have your plasters in, or get your electrician, your cross fix and all the rest of it, just yeah. get everything lined up. So mm-hmm. if people are going to let you down at the last minute, potentially that could knock you off for, for, for weeks, basically, yeah. holding, holding the whole thing up. And, and with your trades, I've got, I guess you've got to have a team that are prepared to work with one another. Because there's, you know, there's yeah. a plumber, I'm not working with that sparky, I'm not working with that. Yeah, my guys all know each other pretty yeah. well now, so they all give each other jobs as well, you uh-huh. know, which is great. They all seem to get on okay, but it took me a long time to build that up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I've been let down so many times, and the first couple of refurbs that I did, you know, it was just a disaster. Yeah. People, that was me getting recommendations I as know. well. I know, So tell me, worst disaster? <laughs> you must have a whole... I mean, I've not really got anything that's like, you know, that's too bad. I mean, got, I've had guys like just walking off the job and stuff like that. One of the things that I learned quite early on was never to give money to guys up front before they finish the job. <laughs> you do that, that once. That was a quick lesson. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But yeah. this wasn't too bad. This painter, you know, I won't, you know he, he basically said to me at the end of the week, he said, uh, you know, any chance of some money? He'd already done a full week's work, right? But he'd only, he was still probably, I still had three days left to do the job, right? And I says, right, okay, then. So I gave, him, I gave him 500 quid for the week, and then 
uh, never came back the Monday and that was me kind of snookered because then I had to find somebody else uh, and just, right. kind of just didn't come back wasn't uh-huh. answering his phone calls no reason no. just totally unreliable uh-huh. just probably got another job yeah, or maybe just forgot about yeah. you <laughs> 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 got his 500 quid pissed like, it up against the wall and he's on yeah, to the next just like, no reason for these but I think a lot of guys get too busy you know yeah. maybe that's what happens communication is not always the strongest point and and they, they get they get something you know like they, they get they get too busy and then they get a better offer or something uh-huh. else so maybe they've they've come in with a quote for years you know and then and then they've quoted for another job and uh-huh. that you know they've quoted high for the other job and they get that job yeah and then they don't answer your calls but it took me a long time uh-huh. and they do like getting paid yeah as soon as the tools are down oh, that's aye, listen, aye, it's like it's Friday when I, are we getting some money yeah totally and and that's one of the, the well that's one of the key the team that I've got now that's one of the that's one of the keys to building that relationship was right. they know that I pay as soon as the job's done that's it the they'll get the money there. straight away in cash in hand yeah it's yeah. none of this waiting 30 days or whatever no. do you know what I mean no. when you're doing stuff for like uh, the corporates and the you know big businesses and yeah, all that 90 day timeline ah exactly uh-huh. not. so that's quite good in a sense Okay, um, good, good. Well, listen, we're 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 about sort of fifty minutes. So fifty, uh, yeah, really already. Uh huh. Well, that's what I'm saying. To I you. Could, I've still got loads more I want to say. <laughs> we'll get you on again. No. <laughs> we'll get you on Part again. Two. But before um, we walk you to the exit, um, yeah. you've been listening. You know what's happening now. About my ten questions. Oh, these are questions. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. So I've mixed them up. Right. So here we go. Try First pet. First pet. And uh, Labrador. Dog. Dog. Tara. Okay. Yeah. Good. A uh, first tee or football? First what? First tee or football? Golf, tea. golf or all right, golf, all right. or golf or football? Football. Used, right. used to play. Well, grew up in the country. Basically, the the, the pitch wasn't wasn't very. <laughs> it wasn't ideal. It was on a slope like right. that okay. in a field, basically. So right. we used to play with all my mates. Play football when we were kids. Then. Okay. And do you play any standard? No. 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 Just with your pals. Yeah, yeah just pals when we were kids. Good stuff. Uh, first camera. Camel first camera was a Zenit, I think it was a SLR. Found it in the um, for sale, you know the for sale sites, uh, for sale uh, adverts in the local newspaper. That oh, used to right, back to, in the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So got that from a, an old guy in Inverness, a Zenit, I think it was called. Uh huh. Did it work? It was brilliant. Yeah, but uh-huh. I don't know how to use it when I bought it. When I got it, I don't right. have a clue because right. um, it was all the old uh, dials and. Oh, to put, all right, to put the film. The film, in. And SLR, oh, right. all that. But, uh-huh. yeah. but you learned quickly. Learned quickly. Loved it. You know, and I had a dark room and everything developed. Oh, right. on, okay. Uh, prints and stuff. Wow. We covered and that was great. Oh, sounds like Gregory's girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One elephant, two elephant. Um, first medal. First medal. First sporting medal. First medal that you won at a sport. Uh, I was. I've never really competed in any sports. Right. I was. I don't. Nothing there. Okay. Never really um, medals in sports. <laughs> the first time that you didn't feel like a fraud, and by that I mean that you felt, you know what, I can do this job because so many people oh, try right, to okay. fake it until they make it. Right. Got you. Uh, so I, th- I think in property, uh, this is quite good now because I've launched this company. I feel that I can really stand in front of people and say, do you know what, I've done this, uh-huh. I've got experience, yes. rather than somebody who's just trying to sell this kind of ideology of yes. being a property investor. Uh-huh. And I feel like I can really give value to people yes. now, because I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, uh-huh. and I can help people it, It's so them. important, that experience kind of thing, and, and where I'm sitting at the moment and doing with the mortgages and, and the legals, um, 
I've got a huge amount of landlords that we act for yeah. and I can turn around and say, you know what, I've got skin in the game. I know what you're going through. I know how to get tenants. I know this and I know that because I've got six properties. And it was one of the things that one of my mentors back in the day, he said to me, he took me aside and he said, listen, what are you doing with the money that you're making? When I was when I was a solicitor, mm-hmm. and I said, "Well, I don't know." And he said, "Well, listen, you need to invest in something that you've got a passion for." And at that time, obviously, I had a passion for property. And he said, "Have a sideline." He was a bookie to trade, mm-hmm. um, and he said, "Have a sideline because if you have a sideline, you'll understand how your clients react about their business. So that if you've got something that that you do that you're passionate about and you make money from." then that will have a huge impact in the way that you can advise them because you understand a little bit about what they're going through. Sure. So that's, that's mm. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's really important. Yeah, I, I struggle. With, I see a lot, a lot of people coming off these courses and that, you know, uh-huh. and, you know, they're, they're on Facebook and all that. And they're, they're, have you actually bought something yet? LinkedIn, and, you know, that. it's like, you know, the property strategy what they call themselves property strategists something uh-huh, like that uh-huh. you know you think to yourself well do you know what I mean that's like really dodgy it's like you know you're giving people advice and helping them buy properties uh-huh. but you've never actually really done it yourself done it yourself mm. yeah absolutely um, your first flip uh, first first flip was the well it wasn't really a flip but that one in Inverness that was a real good one mm. wasn't it you know 40 grand and sold four years 105 years later for 105 capital yeah. gains and that was, was I tell you if we could all do that we'd be sitting pretty yeah first car uh first car was a Renault 19 okay uh Renault 19 uh 1700 pounds I bought it for okay good car actually yeah. I was like 18 stereo aye I had a good stereo in it aye uh can try driving down Inverness. There's only one really main street in Inverness. <laughs> up and down, hot <laughs> rod. <laughs> I used to do a, a circuit up by the castle, right back down. You were that boy. Well, not really, to be honest. I didn't really have the alloys. I, I bought these hubcaps that kind of look like oh, alloys. You so, you know, those ones. <laughs> the ones. That you uh, tape them, but you don't tape uh, them on. You've got the. What do we call it? Serum. And registration number? Oh. I can't remember. That's good. I'm so pleased you can't remember because I can't remember my. But everybody I've interviewed up until now seems to know the registration number. Like H reg or something. Was like it? But, uh, um, first girlfriend. Uh, first girlfriend. Uh, when I was doing Starry my eye. first, pro- first proper girlfriend, uh, probably a, a girl that I met when I was doing my snowboarding seasons. All right. Uh, when I was 18, so I really fell for her. Yeah. That, that didn't last long because the season. Yeah, so the season was only five months long, oh, so right. it, was, it was always going to be a short-term thing. But uh-huh. yeah, Tatiana, right, mm, lovely. There you go. Um, first film that you can remember going to? Uh, first film, I think it would be like uh, Michael J. Fox, Back to the Future or something. Oh my like. goodness! Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Good. Good. Um, last one is books. First amongst equals are fiction. What do you like reading? Fact or fiction? Do you know what I really love at the moment? Because I'm not a huge reader, but I'm really into audio. And, oh, right, uh, the audiobooks, the audible. Yeah, I just love audio, yeah, 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 and yeah. I just can't get enough of it. Uh-huh. And I'm really into that whole kind of mindset thing as well now, okay. personal development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all these books. What have you read? Uh, or what have so, you listened to? So, Think and Grow Rich. Oh, that's good, yeah. Uh, How to Win Friends and Influence yeah. People. Yeah, okay, standard stuff. You yeah. know, these kind of books yeah. that have been... Have you read for years, um, Carol Dweck and Mindset? 
No, not read yeah, that one. Yeah. And that will be on Audible, yeah. undoubtedly. And she's very keen on the growth mindset as against the fixed mindset. And what she's saying is that you must try and develop a growth mindset that you're always growing. Right. You're always trying to learn. Mm-hmm. You never get to a plateau because you reach the plateau and then you move forward again. So get that on Audible. Yeah, that's we'll that. a, a recommendation. Do a lot of driving in the car. So yeah. it's just like, you yeah. know. And the other one I would recommend is the one thing, as I keep going on about. Uh, as I, I say, started listening to their podcast. Yeah, do you like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's good. Um, so my life's going mental at the moment because like, even when I'm washing the dishes or just tidying up at night, I'm putting on podcasts and she's like, I get that crap off. <laughs> but she watches like, you know, what's that, Love Island and all that. Do you oh, know what I mean? So you don't get like, her pelt Yeah, exactly. You uh-huh. know, I watch that rubbish and I listen See, to women, they, they just don't understand. <laughs> they they so, just don't uh, understand. I feel if we started talking about women, we, oh, we yeah, could go yeah. somewhere that's, in a, in a, in a, a bad own, direction. So podcast. We're, we're better just <laughs> yeah. uh, walk you to the exit. Listen, nice thanks one. very much. Thank you very much. Along. Yeah, it's me, Josh. And uh, we'll, we'll do it again I very think. soon. Hopefully there's still some people watching. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs>You know what, I really enjoy doing the interviews, whether it's an estate agent, uh, a letting agent, a factor, but the people that I really do enjoy speaking to is people like you, just investors who have decided to take a bit of a risk, invest in property and see how it goes. And I think you'll understand and agree with me that Nick Ponte is doing a great job. And the next step for Nick is obviously to start off his own letting agent. And we wish Nick all the best. If you do want to get in touch with Nick, then drop me a line under the usual channels. Probably best to get me at the email address, which is jonathanwilliams at begleybrown.co.uk. You can also get me by dropping me an email through the website, www.thebricksandmortarpodcast. You can get in touch with me on Facebook. We've got a thriving Facebook community. We've got a couple of hundred uh, members on the Facebook community. If you wanted to join the Facebook community, then give us a holler on that. I keep talking about traction, don't I, on the podcast and really we're beginning to see encouraging figures going through and really what I've got to say to you is that I've got to concentrate on getting these out on a weekly basis because what has been proved to me over the last six or eight weeks is that if I'm able to knock out a podcast on a weekly basis, then that is reflected in better traction, more people listening. So I tell you what, I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to try and get these knocked out on a weekly basis. I don't know whether or not I'll be able to do an interview every week, but certainly we'll try and get something out on a weekly basis. Where I'm posting everything generally goes through LinkedIn Uh, I've got about 1,500, 1,600 people there who link in with me on the Facebook groups. Again, we tend to put everything on, well, we do, we put everything on the Facebook group at the Bricks and Mortar podcast, but there's various property forums linked to that. 
So we post it on there. We're on Google Plus. We're on the Twitters and the Pinterest. But the main source of social media that I'm using at the moment is LinkedIn. So if you're listening to this and you haven't linked in with me yet, then please do so. And you'll get all of the blogs that I post and all of the content with regards to the podcast. Got a couple more things to talk to you about. One is obviously the BNI educational slot. But probably what's more important is that I'm doing a seminar on buy to let. There are huge changes afoot. The PRA who govern how the banks and building societies lend money have come out with um, something that is potentially going to be a game changer. So much so that I've been asked by various property groups to go along and do a seminar. So I posted the seminar notes on LinkedIn. I'll probably post them on Facebook after I give the talk. The talk is going to be done at uh, the Pond Hotel on the 26th of September. I think we're going to start about seven o'clock. John Mann is the chap behind the Property Leverage Network meeting and he'd previously had it out at Bears Den Station, the pub next to Bears Den Station and slowly but surely, it's only been going since January, but slowly but surely he's begun to gather momentum. He's got some traction in the market and we had about 20 or 30 at the last meeting, but we've outgrown the pub premises and we're now going off to the Pond Hotel. So it would be great to see you there. What we're going to do is we're going to put, put it on Facebook Live. I'm going to do a recording for the podcast, but you know what? There's nothing better than actually being there live in person. So I'll get this out as quickly as I can. Do come along 26th of September and that's at the Pond Hotel, which is just off Great Western Road just by, uh, if you know, Hillhead Rugby Club and the BP station Pondatel. Everybody in the West End knows the Pondatel. So listen, catch you there, 26th of September. Finally, let me tell you about the educational slot that I'm doing at the moment. I was doing three talks, individual talks on habit forming. We all know habits are something these days that Goodness me, there's so many books on trying to form habits and it really is absolutely crucial that I think that if you are able to form good habits, whether that's to improve your work or to improve your home life, then habits are something that can be really, really important and set you on the right, um, the right path. And what I'd said in my talks was really three things. First thing and probably most important thing is that you have to make sure that you don't break the chain. Jerry Seinfeld, the American comic, was a great one. He was told, asked at the start of his career, how did he become a good comic? And simply what he said was he got up in the morning, he had a calendar on the door of his kitchen and every day he wrote a joke without fail he wrote a joke and every time he wrote a joke he used to cross off on the calendar that he'd written that joke and before too long he realised that it wasn't so much that the that he was writing the jokes but he understood that he got momentum in doing that and it got to the stage where he was almost more interested in making sure 
that he didn't break the chain and that's one of the main parts of ensuring that you create a habit is not breaking the chain then the other question is well how long has the chain got to be before you actually have the habit ingrained and there's a lot of research that's been done over this i espouse the theory written in the book the one thing you you've heard of me going on about this and goodness gracious if you've not bought the book yet you need to go out and buy it because it's just it is a game changer with regards to habit forming and many other things to do with business so that says 66 days they reckon is how long it's going to take you to create a habit 66 days knocking it out every single day for 66 days and by the end of that you should have that habit ingrained in you the other two things i talked about were trigger habits one was sometimes although you've got that habit and you are wanting to create that habit sometimes your daily life your daily routine you forget that you should be actually trying to do that habit and one of the things you can do is just simply set an alarm on your phone uh, i do this i've got three or four different habits that i'm trying to create and what i do is three times a day i create an alarm so that it buzzes off on my phone and then it comes up uh, with the habit that i'm trying to form it is absolutely simple so simple but again common practice isn't always common sense and the final thing is a physical trigger so this is called uh, a door frame trigger and what this teaches you to do is that if you identify certain door frames um, whether that's a door frame in your work or a door frame your front door is that think of three things three words that you want to um, a sort of habit that, you, that you're wanting to create and think of three words that espouse and and demonstrate that habit and then what you should try and do is as you're going through the door frame is to think of those three words and then that will trigger you to think again about your habits these trigger movements are so so important but just so so simple in fact so simple that so many of us actually forget in doing that so that's 66 days don't break the chain the alarm trigger on the phone and then the physical door frame trigger and just finally to wrap it all up one of the simplest things that i'd heard in a podcast and to create a presence when you come into a room is just to think about smiling stand up shoulders straight and head up and then go into the room the presence that you will create on that first impression is so important that if every room you go into where you know that there are people smile shoulders straight and heads up again common practice i'm going to wrap it up here i have to say it is tuesday and uh, it's gone 10 o'clock so uh, i'm just going to knock it out do get in touch 
I'm hoping that you're enjoying the podcast. It would be great to get feedback from you. I'm looking forward to meeting you all at the Property Leverage Network meeting next Tuesday and we can have a chat about all things property. You've been listening to the Bricks and Mortar podcast. It's your property podcast and it's a sideways look at property.